Okay, here we go, here we go. Here we go, find the place, here we go. Good to see you. We'll pray. we find the text for after Epiphany. It's good to see you back. Thanks for, um, thanks for being here. Hold on. Two Sundays after the Epiphany, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 1, 17. Merciful God, loving Father, who governs all things in heaven and on earth and makes everything new through your almighty word. Transform our sinful nature and all our doings by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may please you and attain perfect joy through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, good to see you. Welcome back. Lots going on. Um, sign up for the men's retreat. If you've uh, you know, done it in the past, you know exactly what happens. If you haven't, uh, it's easy. The most important thing is that it's free. So if you want to come, uh, there's, there, so it basically works like this. There's free dinner and free beer. Think about it. And then uh, a free lecture from Pete Ladick. It'll be on, uh, I think, on some sort of purity and absolution or something like that. It's going to be uh, kind of a preparation for Lent. So there's free dinner, free beer, you know, free uh, lecture, snacks. If you want to bring somebody, it's a good thing to bring somebody because it's very relaxed. It's at the Hilton in Lyle, so you know you go down Naperville Road, take a left turn before you go across 88. Uh, if you want to stay the night, it's 90 bucks for a room. Get a roommate, split it in half, it's 45 bucks. Uh, get up the next morning. Again, breakfast is free, so if you want to go home and sleep in your own bed, which frankly has much to commend it, uh, you know, you want to come back in the morning, free breakfast and another free lecture, and then goof around and have coffee if you want. Again, a good chance to bring a friend. You don't have to come to both of them, or if you're, you know, if you're working or you want to bring somebody just one time, whatever. The reason we have you sign up, though, is so we can count noses and we can get food properly prepared and get the right room assigned and all that. So the only cost is if you want to stay overnight. Uh, you know, if you or if you know somebody who has uh, a little trouble with the money staying overnight, just get to me. I'll, I'll figure it out. Life's going to be good. We won't let anybody stay home because of the money. So this is as easy as it gets in terms of bringing somebody to St. John. And frankly, it's been great. The last couple of years we've had... I don't know, 70 or 80 guys turn out, and it's very, very nice. It's a nice chance for us to um, relax. A month later, mark your calendars, the women get the same treatment. So I think it's March 8th and 9th, but I can't quite remember. They have a fascinating woman coming, uh, a deaconess who's been all over the world and worked in the poorest of poor places. And, you know, I know on one trip, she and Arthur just went through the slums in Nairobi and, you know, the sewage is in the streets and they're sitting on the dirt and giving the Eucharist to people and baptizing babies and taking care because these are congregation members and they're going out and seeing other people. Um, she's done a lot of stuff with water purification and she's coming to talk about mystery and beauty and, and uh, you know, a disciplined life. So that'll be very interesting. The notes in there save the date. So men go in February, women go in March. There you go. Uh, today the money goes to, it'll go to Grace because we want to finish up. Some of you might have known that Pastor Loza's boiler blew up at the at St. Matthew's um, Soup kitchen. Uh, we just sent we just sent them twenty six hundred dollars. We're going to finish up and give to Grace today. A couple of you asked about Pastor Loza. We'll do him next week. Okay, so don't despair. We just sent him some money. Next week we'll send him some more money. But this week goes to Grace, and we want to finish that up and take care of the kids who did a great job for us last week. What else? Did I forget anything? Need to know anything? Questions about anything? Life good? That it? We good? All right. Here we go. Um, so, I don't know, you might have bumped into some sinners over Christmas. And so, uh, you know, you might even have known about a first name basis. You might have even shared a bedroom with them when you were growing up, right? 
I mean, they're everywhere, those sinner people, and uh, you've got to know what to do with them. So one thing to think about is what Jesus does with sinners. And you know, there's all kinds of different reactions. Uh, now, pause. Uh, just so you, you know, the continuing saga of the atheists are stealing our shtick. So I give you a thing which basically says, it used to be, you know, that atheists and agnostics and non-believers and humanists all said, hey, there's nobody getting me out of bed for church on Sunday. Now, basically, what's happened is they figured out that it's actually good for people to get together on a Sabbath, rest a little bit, have some fun, think about things that are important and orient their lives. So now, basically, it's just church without Jesus. So this is very interesting because what we've spent a lot of time doing over the past 10 years is building community. And yet, for us, it's always important to remember that Jesus is at the center of that community. So we weren't very good at that. Now we're really good at that. But while we're really good at that, we have to be careful that we don't turn into just another place where people go to see their friends on Sunday. So you can read that, and you can see how the shift is happening. Uh, It's a very interesting push and pull that's happening right now with the church and with people who are non-churched or even anti-church and the whole bigger world and tolerance and how things work. Last week there was an article about how some atheists want want to be characterized as a minority class because of the great oppression against them in America. You know, I'm thinking to myself, whoa, that's my script. So, uh, you, know, uh, you know, who's oppressing whom and how many have you got? Because, frankly, my count is down. So, uh, you know, uh, life is interesting. And, and, of course, what people have learned is if they can define their cause as a political cause or a human rights cause, then it gets institutionalized and you put the course behind it and you can tie people up and blah, blah, blah. So it's going to be very interesting. Although, in some ways, it may be better for the church when they're not identified as the majority culture. Uh, the church has never been, in some sense, the majority culture, um, you know, in name only type of stuff. So, uh, although we're not seeking to go all the way to oppression and martyrdom either, there's something in the middle which Luther was all about. This is the genius of being a Lutheran at this point in time when everybody's concerned about who overreaches where, which is that for Lutherans, because we understand the gospel does not work by force, we don't put armies behind, you know, what we believe. It's really kind of that simple. So people don't have anything to fear from Lutherans because Lutherans don't believe. Oh, now, now, yeah, I got it. But, you know, um, I'm not, I, don't, I don't, for heirs of the past, I don't, you know, it's not, that's not for me. But for, let me put it, for, the, for Lutheran people who follow Luther, how about that? Of course, Lutherans, who wants to speak for them? So I stand corrected. However, uh, you know, but for, for Lutheran doctrine, the division of the two kingdoms, it's very clear that the gospel is not enforced. Now, you do strongly make way for the gospel, and Luther didn't always get it right. He didn't uh, himself, in practice, do so well with the Jews, for example. Uh, but in the understanding of the gospel doesn't work by force when that's played out and you don't have to institutionalize force behind what you do. Um, that's a good thing. That's, that also means there's kind of room for everybody, right? And that's the thing you're not seeing. You're not sort of seeing a live and let, let um, live mentality right now. I know there's aberrations. Um, hard cases make bad law, okay? So I speak from, you know, what's the pure stuff? Of, of what it means to be Lutheran and Luther's understanding of that, even when he himself didn't always get it right. So, uh, okay. Anything else? Just by the by? You just want to pay attention to that because um, one is you learn a lot from it because you learn what, how deeply people don't want to be alone and unloved, right? So we sort of began the discussion with everybody who walks through my door 
you know, 99% of them, it's because they're alone and unloved. They feel alone and unloved. What's happening is the people are finding a way once again to mask the notion that they're alone and that they're unloved in other people. Here's the dirty little secret about other people. They will always let you down. No human being can stand the pressure of being a god, which is why that enterprise will not work ultimately. The very first commandment is don't confuse God with people because God is reliable and people are unreliable. God is holy and people are sinful. And someday when you trust other people, they're going to screw you. It's that simple, right? And sometimes in a really big way, like they shoot to kill. So the thing is, is, you know, you don't, conf no, and no human, the, the corollary to that is no human being can stand the pressure of being God. You know, if you say about your kid or your wife or your husband, you know, they're everything to me. Frankly, they're not everything to you, right? It's very difficult to say that right when a child or a spouse has died. But the reality is, is people are people and God is God. And there's, you know, a categorical difference between the two. And the very first commandment, in fact, the only commandment is not to confuse those two things. If you confuse them, your life goes to ashes eventually because people cannot take the strain of being God. And frankly, since the fall, because we're all broken, we tend to screw each other sooner rather than later, right? And so what the church is about is the recognition of that, I, a poor, miserable sinner, and then being forgiven of that, and then the last line of your confession, that you'd be happy and doing good over the next week. Read it next time. Next time you get to the, when you're on your knees saying confession, read the last line or two, that you'd be happy and go in the way of Jesus, that you'd be happy and doing good, right? That's, that's what it's about. It's not just about you get forgiven. It's that in the days to follow, you live the way that Jesus lives. The church, really, the liturgy has a remarkable thing going that can't be duplicated. That's sort of an illusion when you look at that. It's a mirage. It kind of looks like the church, but it's not the church because Christ, the latter, isn't at the center. So now we have to be careful because with all of our emphasis on community and being kind and outreach and missions and all the other stuff, by the way, thanks for the money for missions. Keep going. I'll just tell you, especially for this group, you know, we're about, last year at this time, we'd given away about $70,000, $72,000. This year at this time, we've given away $97,000. That's a big jump in a percentage-wise, right? That's almost, you know, 25 30% increase in our giving to other people. This would include everything from the district to Grace School, right, and everything in between, money that goes to somebody else that we don't take any percentage out of. We just send it off to others, and stuff too, of course, you know. If you buy paper, give clothes, or buy new coats for kids, that all counts. That's a big number. I will say to you, you know, and we talked about that last Lent, and it's very nice to be able to talk about it in March and see the fruit of it in June and December. That's a really good thing. I'm just going to say to you, this, it's almost Lent. Look at your giving. Tend your giving. Try to move toward 10%. Look at what you're doing for the poor. Try to give something to the poor and just kind of keep going. It's nice to only have to talk about it that much, okay? And, you know, again, my reminder from last year at Lent, which is we're a younger congregation, so younger people, we get younger and younger. Younger people don't have as much money. Older people retire. They don't have as much money. So we're going to get squeezed on both ends. But we'll make it up in volume. Okay? We'll just, we'll just get more people doing it, and it'll all work out. Really, I'll find an economist who will tell me this is true. All right? Don't, don't worry. I can figure it out. So uh, tend yourself, okay? Tend your, tend your giving. Tend your discipline. But thanks for tending your giving and thanks for tending your discipline. It's nice to, I mean, as I said to you a thousand times before, we talk about money so we don't have to talk about money. So we're talking about money. Now we're not going to talk about it again for a while.
go home and pay attention. But thank you very much because it matters to other people. I don't know what the numbers are for Grace, but they're not in that 97. That'll be on top, and it's going to come in at several thousand dollars. And that's going to be good, right? So anyway. All right, everything good? I could just keep going. All right, so we should probably uh, read a text. Here's the thing. So we've been talking about um, you know, how you can be a good witness to people and how you can do that in kindness and how it often looks like deeds rather than words and how you can't pummel people into believing. And um, you also can't choose your spots, in, in, at least in the sense that you think some people are worthy to be in the church and other people are out. There's a, a range of things to do. So how do you engage it? And we sort of came over the first weeks that we just said, um, you know, we sidle up next to people, present, like Jesus is present in the manger. We're kind to people. Um, you don't need to take offense. Yeah, people are sinners. We already knew that. We know that going out. So when you bump into a sinner, come on, really? You're going to take offense at that? Now, you don't have to affirm people or countenance it just because you still love them. So the trick is to love without giving offense or taking offense, right? To count people as valuable, to not be a dork, occasionally to ask a good question, and maybe even to give a good answer. And you'll see in this lesson for today, that's exactly what Jesus does. It's exactly how Jesus... And you'll notice that other people kind of sort who they want in their house and out of their house, and they sort people by their presuppositions, and they decide who should be in the church and who out, which means they decide who God loves and who God doesn't love, which has to be completely wrong. Okay, so grab a Bible. Let's go to Luke uh, 7. Okay, here we go. So, Luke 7. This is just a great text. It's a great text about being around sinners. So, we'll just read the text and then off we go. Uh, By the way, if you're going to Italy, probably plane fares are going to, probably reservations will be made by February 1st. So, we're getting, there's about 25 people going or something. If you're going to go... You know, now's the time because we gotta we got to start reserving things. Hey, the euro will never be cheaper until next week. So, um, you know. All right, here we go. Luke 7, 36. Okay, so you get a parable inside a story, which is always, always fun. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. Very common stuff, okay? You honor the rabbi by having him come home. Now, it's really important to understand what's happening here and what it means. The, the language here, the Pharisee, Jesus, the rabbi, it's important to understand what's going on here. This isn't like, let's go to the deli and get a sandwich. This is Near Eastern hospitality. It's very important to understand what that means. You honored a rabbi by asking him home. When you asked him to come home, he was expected to preach or teach and you were expected to pepper him with questions. Somebody, I've worked a couple of times in African-American communities over the course of my life, and early on, an old uh, black man said to me, you know, remember, when you come to a funeral of an African-American person, always have a sermon in your pocket. Because one of the ways they show respect to visiting clergy is they just say, could you get up and preach for a little bit here? And you'll see guys reach into their pocket and pull the sermon out that they've pre-prepared, okay? Which is a nice tip, because if they say to you, hey, you ready to go, and you're like, Right? So this is what Jesus is. This is what happened with Jesus. I mean, it's like you're going to come home and we want, to hear, we want to hear the goods, okay? And you have to have that presupposition behind this, otherwise you don't understand all the things that were going on. So just to kind of bulk this up, you will say to me, yes, you will say to me, this isn't in the text. I will say to you, the text is not outside of context. 
So the context is, in the Near East, when you have the rabbi home, the rabbi is expected to sing for his supper. And you know what Jesus is all about. Already we're seven chapters in. What Jesus is all about is that God loves everybody, right? So if you're just a bit too proud, you might want to tone that down just a little bit. And if you lie awake at night with a guilty conscience, hey, I got some good news for you. The, the, the point is, Jesus' shtick is, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins is for everybody, and it's in me going to the cross. That's the deal. Okay? We're only seven chapters in, so it's not fully developed yet. You can't tell everybody everything at once. But that's what people would have heard, and that's why you get these big reactions, and that's why the woman feels so comfortable, and that's why the Pharisee is so uncomfortable. And you have to have all of that in your head. It's just the way it is. You know, we've, we did this book a few years ago um, by Kenneth Bailey, who grew up in the Middle East, and then he wrote his doctoral dissertation and several books since then. Here's what he did. He took the stories of the Bible. He went to the Bedouin. He went to small villages in the Middle East, and he told the story. He said, what did you hear? What does this story mean? Just tell me what this story means. People knew what he was talking about as soon as he opened his mouth, right? Because the culture hasn't changed that much. At that point, it had not changed that much. For example, this point where Jesus says in the story, Simon, I have something to say to you, okay? That actually sounds like, hey, Dan, I got something to talk to you about. That's not what it sounds like at all. It's a, it's a, it's a Middle Eastern remark, which, is, which means, okay, uh, you know, strap in because I'm going to tell you something you don't want to hear. The, the, the words mean I'm going to be really blunt here and I'm going to tell you something that you need to hear but you don't want to hear. Now that does not come through in the English text. But if you know the phrase, you know, in Hebrew, in Aramaic, if you know the phrase, then you know that when Jesus looks at Simon, it's a little bit of a throwdown, right? So before the parable comes, he says, Simon, I have something I want to tell you. Everybody's like, <gasps> Right? Because Simon is rich and respectable and he's a Pharisee and everybody knows he's holy and who's the new guy who's going to correct him? Okay, so here we go. That's all in the first sentence, by the way. <laughs> One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and he took his place at the table. Taking his, it actually says he reclined at the table. So there's another clue. This is just like the Lord's Supper. Traditional, um, you know, your right hand is clean in the Middle East your left hand is dirty in the Middle East. You know, you, you, know, you eat you know, with this hand, you clean up after your dog with this hand. I'm being quite serious, okay? This is even in Latin, sinister. You know, left-handedness, even in the West, was a little bit suspect, right? From, you know, left-handed. So, um, you know, you lean on your left, you're on a couch, the food might be on a very low table, it might even be in big bowls on the ground, but you're quite low. Um, usually the doors of the place were left open so people can see and even wander in. So this is a public event, although not everybody gets to eat. Right? So here's kind of what it looks like. There's a table or maybe just the food arranged. There's something to recline on, either couches or you know, rugs, linen, something to sort of keep people up. So you're on your left hand, you're on your side, the food is you, so you can grab with your right hand. And now it's really important um, because the woman's going to appear at Jesus' feet. It's really important to understand how this works. You remember the, you see this occasionally on the news. Like, you remember when um, the most recent President Bush went to the Middle East and in the middle of this press conference, the dude got up and threw a shoe at him? Do you remember that? Yeah, why is that? 
because the feet in the in Middle Eastern terms are inherently unclean. So you know in some cultures where you sit down, the people who, you know, you make this huge faux pas. There's a, there's a thousand ways you can do it, but one is to do this, which means, Dan, I hate you. You stink, Dan, right? <laughs> because the feet are inherently unclean and the sole of the foot is the worst part of it. So what happens is Jesus is lying down at this dinner. And you can tell this, by the way, that reclining at feast is the code word for this. Jesus is on his side, right hand to be able to eat, talking to everybody. And people can see this, and everybody sort of has their place. And this woman comes behind him. It's very important. She comes behind him at the soles of his feet. Very important. Because you have these two characters now, who both turn out to be sinners, you have a Pharisee who is like all full of himself and you have this woman who it seems has heard Jesus teach that the kingdom of God is open to everybody, right? But she places herself, you know, at Jesus' feet. That's a remarkable, remarkable thing. It's a great act of humiliation, but there's going to be kind of more to it, okay? So one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come home and eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house, and he took his place at the table. So there is a table, and Jesus on his left arm, his right hand's free, and he's talking. And behold, a woman of the city. Now, you know, this doesn't need much translation, okay? This doesn't need much translation. Uh, It's a small city. Even if it's Jerusalem, it's a small place. Everybody knows who everybody is, and the euphemism is she's a prostitute. She's a woman of the city. Everybody knows who she is. Right? Anybody with a brain in the head knows who. So when Jesus doesn't apparently know who she is, that's part of the problem with Jesus, is he's just not aware. That's why we have the vicar go over to the library, read the New York Times on Sunday, cover to cover, everything in there, because he's got to know what time it is. All right? More stay in the time, Vic, wherever you are. Okay, purple rain and all that. So, and behold, just checking to see your, you know, just checking to your historical quotient, uh, a woman of the city. Okay, and then you get the double emphasis, who was a sinner. So just in case there's any, Luke, Luke apparently knew she was a sinner, but apparently Jesus didn't know she's a sinner. I don't know. Apparently they think he doesn't know, know that she's a sinner, but, you know, she's a sinner. Everybody, the Pharisee knows she's They still let her in the house, which is very interesting. This is a little bit like a pop quiz, right? So do you let her in? You don't let her in. You know who she is. You don't. Oh, let's just put that vinegar in that soda and see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be great. Okay? So... Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that Jesus was at the table in the Pharisee's house. So everybody was said, yeah, where'd Jesus go? He's home with Simon, right? Doors open, you know. Brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, um, why does she have a flask of ointment? Because oil is expensive. Why does it smell like? Why does she have perfume? Because she smells and her customers smell and, you know, this is the why people have always wore perfume, except, you know, in America where people shower three times a day. Because you people stink, okay? That's the reason why. And, and, and perfume could be everything from you gargle, because nobody brushed their teeth if they had teeth, you know, um, to, like, you know, I mean, this is, this, I, this is very, this is, a, in, in some sense, a very racy story, because there's a couple of things that go on here. One is, the perfume is sort of a tool of her trade, right? So this is very interesting. I mean, she's got all these clues that she is just not the kind of person your mother wants you to bring home to dinner, okay? Uh, I mean, the next clue is, and I'll just sort of get all this out. The other thing is, is, and you know this from, you know, kind of the, you're paying attention to watching the news, you know, the, um, 
the hair is going to be a huge thing there. For rabbis at this time and in the Middle Eastern culture, kind of hair and breasts kind of went together. So when she lets her hair down, it's almost like she took her top off. Okay, the, 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 but we did that the first week, remember? So, um, you don't remember? Okay, you do remember. So, I mean, this is, you gotta, you gotta see that all of this is in there because there's arguments in the rabbinical writing about, you know, a woman who lets her hair down, it's, or, or whether she uncovers herself to a priest. There's all these, you know. So here's the thing. I mean, this is a pretty high stakes game that's going on because people are trying to figure out who Jesus is. And if he trips over this one, he can't be trusted with anything, right? I mean, if he gets this wrong, I mean, this is just basic, you know, this is just basic stuff. Okay, I just, you know, there you go. All right? So, um, here we go. So, and standing behind him at his feet. Uh, this would be roughly equivalent to saying to you, at Ash Wednesday, on your knees, with a little cross scribbled onto your brow. It's that kind of humility, Okay. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping. Very interesting. Right? She began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with the hair of her head. People have to just be like, oh, this would never go in the afternoon circle. <laughs> <laughs> to see if you're awake. It actually would. The afternoon circle are nice people. Come on, you should join. Right, Carol? She's not here. Okay. I'm just. <laughs> Yes, she is. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, this is not, you know, you've got to be careful, you know. So, I mean, I mean, this is just not, you know, she wipes them and she kissed his feet, right? So, kissed his feet is like, I mean, another thing just to clear up, um, in every, you know, Jesus movie you've ever seen, Judas comes and um, kisses Jesus how? How does he kiss him? Where does he kiss him? Yeah, see, that didn't happen. And the text doesn't say on the cheek. So in, the, in, the, in, New, Testament, in New Testament culture, in Near Eastern culture, when you kiss somebody on the cheek, you are equals. Okay? That's how you greet an equal. Kiss, kiss, cheek, cheek. To kiss your rabbi, oh, this is easy. This is like the Pope. When you greet the Pope, you kiss his? Ring. Or hand, yes, ring. You do kiss his ring. I guess you get a ring. Um, <laughs> You threw me. I thought you were going to say hand. Okay, so here's the thing. When you kiss an equal, and by the way, I'm happy to have you kiss me on the lips, so it's okay. Um, but if, you're, if, you, if you go to your rabbi, or if you go to your, your sheikh, or if you go to your nobleman, or if you go to your king, you don't kiss him on the cheek. And, and um, Judas didn't kiss Jesus on the cheek. You know, he kissed him on the hand. Right? So... Equals kiss on the cheek. People who are not equal kiss on the hand. So, you know, you kiss, you, you would kiss. Um, so it's very interesting then. She doesn't um, certainly presume to kiss him on the face. She doesn't even engage his face. You know, and she doesn't even, interestingly, kiss his hand. It's just a very interesting thing that happens that she kisses his feet. I mean, this is just like... This is just weird behavior. This is, you know, people don't do this, especially these kind of people. They just, everything is off balance here, right? All right, so uh, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet. She anointed them with ointment. All right, now the story starts. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him, this is Simon, when the Pharisee who invited him saw it, 
He said to himself, this guy is stupid. I mean, that's basically what he says. He says, if this guy were really a prophet, because right, this is the question. They said it to John. They said it to Jesus. Are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? Are you the one who is to come? Are you the Messiah? If this guy were really a prophet, that means you know, if he really knew stuff, and one of the things about prophets is they're at least supposed to know stuff, and they might know more stuff, like in the Old Testament reading for today, where God speaks to them. So at least they ought to get the lay of the land. These prophets should know what time it is, right? And at least they know what time it is, and then they might know some stuff outside time, like um, the old, Samuel in the Old Testament today, right? Okay, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to him, Hey, if this guy were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is. He'd be paying attention. Who is touching him? And now, I've said to you a thousand zillion times, the gospel is touch. You know, why is the gospel touch? Um, the gospel is touch because when you touch somebody, there's an exchange. Something happens here. And, of course, the notion is, as you know, if you touch a dead body, if you touch a Gentile, if you touch somebody who's unclean, right? If you touch somebody who's ill, when you touch them, so Dan's sick, and I touch him, and now I'm sick. He's defiled, I'm defiled. He's in trouble, I'm in trouble, right? So I share his fate, as it were. So what, is, what, is, well, I mean, what does he think? He thinks, well, you know, as soon as she touches him, I mean, it didn't just touch him. I mean, she goes, you know, she's, she's in for the whole ticket, right? As soon as she touches him, Jesus is polluted. Jesus is ruined. So he's not only stupid, he's also unclean, right? And he may be evil because, you know, I mean, you hang around with evil people long enough, what happens to you, right? What'd your mama say to you, right? You run with those kids and pretty soon... Right? So there you go. This is fairly good common sense. It's really bad theology, but it's pretty good common sense, right? You little hoodlum friends, you know, you remember what it was like. On the other side of the bars, you remember? Some of you do remember, actually. All right, so here we go. All right, here we go, here we go. If this man were a prophet, he'd know what sort of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Everybody knows she's a sinner. She knows she's a sinner too. Everybody knows she's a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said, and this is, this is the key phrase, Simon, I have something to say to you. This isn't like, hey, could I have another glass of wine? This is like, hey, I'm going I'm to interrupt your life right now. That's what this means. Okay? All right, I got something to say. But then, of course, Jesus, what is a teacher? Like, oh boy, this is a, that's the throwdown. Like, I got something to say. Well, okay, if you think you could go ahead. Um, you know, a certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, so denarii is a day's wage, so this is a, a, you know, not quite two years of work, so you, know, you owe him two years of free labor. Um, one owns him 500, the other 50. You work it off, you know, before Easter. So, one owes 500, one owes 50. When they couldn't pay, neither one can pay, the creditor forgave both of them. You're clean, you're clean. 500, 50, would just sort of erase things. Which will love him more? This is easy, right? Uh, Simon answered, the one, I suppose, to whom he forgave more. Right? So big trouble, big forgiveness, big love. Goes right in the line. Big trouble, big forgiveness, big love. So if you think you aren't a very good sinner, I mean, if you, you think you're not a very big sinner, there's, why should you come to church? You might as well go to that place in Kansas City. 
I mean, if you don't need to, if you didn't need Jesus, if you just, if you just got little tiny sins that you can take care of all by yourself, no wonder you don't come to church. But man, if you're sitting at home and you got all kinds of sins and they're stacking up, and you're down to living in one room in your five-bedroom house because you got sins stacked everywhere, you probably should come to church, right? So who's more grateful? Big trouble, big forgiveness, big life, right? Big love, or just a little bit, and I think I might clean it up myself. Fifty, not a big deal. Uh, the one, I suppose, to whom he forgave more. Everybody knows that. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, hey, see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. So that would have been um, into the 19th century. He's still in a Middle Eastern household. I mean, probably still today in many places. But, you know, people brought you water for your feet. You know, in a way that maybe people pour water over a priest's hands at the altar. Uh, um, you know, you, at least a symbolic way of sort of cleaning people up. So, in a way, when he doesn't provide water for Jesus, he's kind of setting him up to fail. I mean, he's... he's shaming him. He's holding him in contempt. He's already decided. He knows what the score is. And so it's kind of, the, it's like if, it's like if, it's, it's like if I asked you to dinner, but I didn't answer the door right away. I didn't take your coat. I didn't offer you a place to sit. Everybody else is having fun, but I don't, I don't, I don't get you a drink. And you know, that, that's, it's like that. It's, it's this, you know, you, I'm sure you've all been in these situations where you've been someplace where you know, you've been invited, and then people ask, like, maybe they don't really want you there. That's what this is. That's what Jesus is saying. You, I mean, you said you wanted me here, but you didn't really act like you wanted me here. So when I got here, you didn't offer me any water. But then um, this woman, she wet my feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. Jesus redeems all of that, right? You gave me no kiss, which is just like, that's just like, you know, how it is when you walk by on the street and you make eye contact and then people don't say anything. Or maybe somebody you've been angry at in the past and they act like you're not there. It's like that. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. It's like the words there are like, she just keeps covering my feet with kisses. So this is kind of the embarrassing thing where, you know, when people kind of fawn on you and you're, at some point you're like, you know, you're making it making me nervous, you know? It's like that. He's like, she just keeps covering my feet with her kisses. Right? Okay. Well. Um, and you didn't anoint my head with oil, which was just, oil, olive oil was as common as, you know, well, water in the Middle East. Um, and olive oil was used for everything from burning in a lamp to hand lotion to um, smelling nice at a church, right? To anoint people. So, and you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment, which in some sense you see, this is very strange, but you just, you know, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What she's basically done when she touches Jesus is give up the tools of her trade, right? Her hair and the ointment and ultimately herself. She just doesn't need that stuff anymore because guess what? Her life has changed, right? So she's a sinner who's been drawn in by the love of Jesus and at this, it's kind of code, but not really code. Because, hey, I don't need the, I don't, hey, guess what? I don't need the ointment anymore because I'm not sleeping around. I'm not a prostitute anymore, okay? And, you know, once I pull my hair back, I'm going back to normal. This is great stuff. So, 
You did anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment, right? Therefore I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven. And that's, of course, what she wanted to hear. This is the great Lutheran for you, right? So it doesn't matter if everybody else in the room gets forgiven. What matters is if you get forgiven, which is why there's so many things that involve touch and individuality. When you get the host at the Eucharist, you're the only person in the room. It's just you and Jesus, right? So the reason that the pastor holds up the host and says to you, the body of Christ, and you say, Amen, is because I know there are people to your right and to your left, but that's not what it's important right now. The important thing right now is it's for you. The body of Christ, for you. The blood of Christ, for you. Private absolution, what's the benefit? There's nobody else in the room. Jesus isn't forgiven anybody else. The only person he's forgiven right now is you. There can't be any mistake in the same way with this woman. There can't be any mistake about who's being forgiven. She's the only one there who's crying and weeping and got the oil going and to whom Jesus now speaks. You see her? It matters to her. Out of this great big feast, she's the one. And of course, you get the moral of the story. If she can be forgiven, everybody can be forgiven, right? Because we, we got the worst person in town here. And Jesus is um, having some fun. So, she loved much. I'm sorry, I tell you her sins, which are many forgiven. It's very important for you to see that Jesus acts first, because this has been mistranslated for a hundred years. The newer translations are coming back around. I don't have an ESV, but I'll ask him. Somebody get ready for the last verse, because I want to know, like, I'm using my old RSV, which is still wrong. But um, Jesus asks first, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. So Jesus forgives her in response. It's terribly important. She loves much. This is just how it was in the parable, right? The guy owes 50 the boss forgives him, he loves much. The guy owes 500, the boss forgives him, he loves much. She's got a lot of sins, Jesus forgives her. In response, she loves much. She's very grateful. Toot, toot, toot. The way this is normally mistranslated, you would, you, you would think you were living in Wheaton, Illinois. Hold on, I'll show you. So here's the thing, man. Um, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Which is, of course, is exactly what Jesus wants them to say. It's exactly what they say in Mark 2 when they drop the guy down through the roof on the pallet and they say, you know, couldn't you make him walk? And Jesus says, I think I'd rather forgive him. And then they're like, you can't do that. Only God can forgive sins. And he's like, Right? It's the same, this is the same story. I mean, he's doing exactly the same thing, which is he's trying to draw people to the point to say, which, of course, now you should be, if you're very, very clever, you'll want to work people to the point. The big sinners you know in your life, you want to work them to the point with your kindness and your non-dorkness. You want to work them to the point where they say, wow, this thing is such a mess, only God will be able to cure it. And you're like, no, that's right. Okay? And then the last line, and Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now faith, as I've said to you a gazillion times, almost as many gazillions as I've said the gospel is touch, is faith simply means you agree. You agree with Jesus. So here's what happens. Jesus comes to the feast. Jesus lies down. Jesus preaches about how the gospel's for everybody. Jesus preaches about how if you get close to me, everything is going to be all right. She takes him up on it. She gets close. She cries. She weeps. 
publicly he forgives her and he makes everything all right. That's faith. So there wasn't this big thing about, you know, altar call and blah, 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 blah. It's simply Jesus like, I love you. She's like, you love me. And Jesus said, I forgive you. And he says, you forgive me. And he says, everybody's in. She says, I'm in. And, and he says, the kingdom of God is meant for all God's children. She says, I'm one of God's children too. That's faith. Faith is she's just repeating what Jesus says. She just, she, she just bought the whole thing. That's what faith is, okay? So then the very last line, your faith has saved you. So it doesn't mean you had faith and therefore you screwed up your faith and then I decided I would preach a sermon and then I decided I would love you and then it all worked out. That's actually, this is the wrong translation. This is not a good translation, the RSV. What is, somebody got an ESV? Let's see if they cleaned it up. What's the last line say? Same thing, those poor ESV people. Say a prayer for Eric Maldre, who works over there. But he's, a, he's an artist. He would never draw a picture that was wrong. So, um, so, I mean, what this should say is, you know, you're saved by faith, you know, by agreeing. Or think about it in the Lutheran way that faith is a gift. But in any case, um, the key is go in peace, which is very much like John 8, where he says to the woman caught in adultery, um, hey, have a nice life. You don't have to sin anymore. Go and sin no more is really more aptly translated. Hey, you don't have to sin anymore. Hey, there's other opportunities. Hey, you don't need the perfume. You should keep your hair bundled up, right? Because everything is just going to work out just fine, okay? So there you go. I was just going to read through the lesson for you. So, but time's up. So what are we going to do? I tell you what, um, we're going to come back next week. Hold on to your outline. We'll probably do something else again. You can kind of read through. Most of it is in there. But we'll we'll want to talk practically about, you know, what this means when you bump into people who carry perfume around and let their hair down in odd places, right? So we're going to need to talk about that. So kind of percolate, but again, I give you the baseline stuff, which is don't be a dork and, um, you know, maybe be nice to people. But we're going to have to up our game a little bit because what happens is if you're not a dork and you're nice to people, sometimes they just go to a coffee shop. And the church, you see, is not a coffee shop. Don't make me launch on contemporary worship. Don't touch me. Get behind me, Satan. Okay, so let's just pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. See ya.